Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Imagine you've seen much concerning Venezuela. Our neighbor to the south, one of our many colorful neighbors south of the border of the United States and Mexico. And the brouhaha concerning the governance of Venezuela under Nicolas Maduro and the efforts by Vladimir Putin's Russian regime to prop him up. Now, you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute. Russia isn't communist anymore. I mean, it hasn't been now for ages, right? Why do they care about keeping communist regimes in power? How does that make any sense whatsoever? Well, first of all, Putin's regime is a totalitarian, authoritarian regime. It is not the democracy that it is made out to be by uh, various ones, especially the PR machine, the massive propaganda machine, public relations machine, media machine in Russia, and that they use around the world. But Vladimir Putin has great designs, not just for a legacy after he passes into the sunset, but for accomplishments in this lifetime. He, after all, is older than Adolf Hitler was when Adolf's lofty aspirations fizzled out. But Vladimir Putin has a footprint, a toehold south of us, in the Caribbean, not only communist Cuba, that's right, communist, wait a minute, again, Russia isn't communist, oh, okay, well, they have got close, close, close ties with communist regimes around the world, very close ties with the communist regime of China, which Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping have strengthened and strengthened and renewed and improved. And, of course, with former Soviet Chinese slave state, still slave state, (laughs) North Korea, under the visionary, inspirational leadership of best friend for life, of our president, none other than Kim Jong-un, with his able sister in the wings, more than able, but very close ties with Cuba, where Vladimir Putin's regime has reestablished the former Soviet spy base that was its single largest military intelligence operation in the world 
outside of Russia, outside of the Soviet Union, I should say, at that time, and now outside of Russia. And this very close tie with Venezuela. So, yes, he is invested in this regime in Venezuela. It is extremely handy to have these very close ties and to strengthen the situation, the circumstances. Heaven forbid that there should be democracy in Venezuela or Cuba. Oh, my. That won't do. After all, look at all the great gains they've made. Remember back when James Earl, Jimmy, trust me, Carter, determined that the Panama Canal should revert to Panama, the same way that the Brits determined that they should give Hong Kong and Kowloon to communist China, even though they were perpetual owners of that property at that point in time. But they relinquished ownership and control. Vladimir Putin, he does not have some of the military toys that the United States of America has. Not because Russia hasn't uh, acquired (laughs) the technology, the blueprints, and so on and so forth, but they have not been able to amass enough wealth. Maybe if he took some out of his personal piggy bank, which he has filled with billions, perhaps he could help you know, fund some of these things. But that's not going, that's probably not going to happen. But it's very important that they have these bases of operations that are very, very close to the United States of America because they do not have aircraft carriers. They do have submarines. They do have nuclear submarines. They do have mega-sized nuclear submarines. They do have cruisers and battleships and destroyers, and they do have their Air Force, and their trump card is their intercontinental ballistics missiles with multiple, multiple nuclear warheads, which can be fired from trains and from silos and from submarines and what have you, just as the United States of America has on their submarines, nuclear submarines and in silos and so forth. But there is a difference, and that is the United States of America used to have a numerical advantage, numerical superiority, you know, mad, mutually assured destruction, mad, it's just madness. Well, what is madder than that? is for the United States of America to have destroyed, (laughs) eliminated massive amounts of our nuclear armaments, thanks to some former presidents, some very distinguished, august persons, such as Barack Hussein Obama, with his VP, Joe Biden, now Democrat presidential candidate for 2020. But... 
It's important to Vladimir that he have close proximity, close access, near access to the United States of America. The spy base is 155 miles off the coast of Florida. Venezuela is a great staging location as well. Yes. That being said, President Vladimir Putin, he has no desires for war with the United States of America. Surely. I mean, his goals, his desires in life surely are the same as every other leaders, <laughs> as those of every other leader in the world. Surely, surely they are. Peace and prosperity. And you know what? There is a grain of truth to that. There is. I don't want to just, you know, uh, cause you to believe that that he has no desire for peace and prosperity. He does desire peace and prosperity. Truly, I am absolutely convinced Vladimir Putin does want peace and prosperity for himself. For himself. All right. Yes. But like so many great world leaders, including any number of black African leaders and others, uh, so many of these leaders are absolutely dedicated to their own personal prosperity. And they, pardon the term, but it is the right term, they rape their nations in order to enrich themselves. And not only allow great violence in their nations, but even cause it, right? But, again, Vladimir Putin, a good guy, one of, one of our president's favorites, along with Xi Jinping, really wonderful man, dictator for life, <laughs> head of the Communist Party in Communist China. But so anyway, there is this attachment this emotional, visceral attachment to Venezuela by Vladimir Putin's regime. So, anyway, the leader there, the communist leader of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro, has been doing everything in his power to stop, to thwart to destroy the opposition led by National Assembly Interim President Juan Guaido. But, incredibly enough, these efforts have not been working all together too well. And it was stated by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and by John Bolton that... Lo and behold, Nicolas Maduro supposedly was on his way to Cuba. He was leaving. He was fleeing. He was emigrating <laughs> to Cuba, but uh, he was prevented from doing so because Putin's Russian regime communicated with him 
that they wanted him to stay. Yes. Supposedly so. I mean, who's to say? How are we to know? But John Bolton, one whom I do respect, National Security Advisor, former U.N. ambassador, sharp guy. Uh, He is the tip of the spear there at the uh, Trump administration, I think. But anyway, he said this, that he was on his way to Cuba. Pompeo said, quote, he was headed for Havana, end quote. Well, maybe. (laughs) But in any case, it will be so exciting to see what transpires there again. If Putin's regime has its way, uh, they will manage to, one way or another, maintain their grip on Venezuela and so forth. And on that note, perhaps you saw that here just, I mean, today, uh, rather yesterday, uh, there were again visits to the proximity of the United States of America made by the Russian Air Force, Putin's Russian Air Force. That's right. Namely, four, count them, four nuclear-capable. Not that they would be carrying nuclear weapons, but they're capable of carrying nuclear weapons for massive Russian bear bombers, SU-35 fighter escorts along with them in the number of two. So four Russian bear bombers, two Russian SU-35 fighter jets with them. (laughs) They were just, you know, out for a Sunday drive on a Monday, wanted to visit the Alaskan coast, coastline. So what does that mean? Come on, surely, surely Vladimir Putin doesn't intend to really start some sort of nuclear conflagration. Surely not. Why would he do such a thing? Even if he is getting a bit long in the tooth to become world emperor, why would he take such a chance? Why would he engage in such a risky adventure as that? Surely not. Well, undoubtedly not. I, I, you know, fascinatingly enough, these patrols, these uh, benign patrols, as they're referred to patrols, by Russian military air force, these patrols off of Canada and off of Alaska, off of the United States of America and Canada, they, well, they're growing increasingly complex. They have over recent years, yes. And they are routine, yes. So, so much so that the NORAD fighter aircraft, they routinely, routinely, are scrambled to intercept them, (laughs) to intercept them and escort them away, safely away from Alaska and Canada. Well, of course, we don't, 
Oh, well, <laughs> I started to say we don't care about Canada. Oh, my, we care about Canada. But Canada has its own Air Force, right? Canadian Air Defense. But, uh, no, we care about Canada. We do. We do. You might think from some of the things the president has said that we don't, but we do. We do and we should. We should. Even just from the standpoint of selfish self-interest, we should, right? Selfish self-interest, self-defense, safety, so forth. But more than that, we do. We care. But (laughs) so this is commonplace. It's just run of the mill. It's just, you know, just another instance, like back in January. Back in January, yes, two of our F-22 fighter jets and combined with, in concert with, two Canadian CF-18 fighter jets. Escorted. Two Russian TU-160 blackjack strategic bombers away, safely away, out of the Canadian Air Defense Identification Zone. Yes. So, but what does it mean, really? We can go back to 2018 when there were multiple instances of this. And... Anyway, I, I referred to NORAD. I should have said, you know, I, I hate acronyms, don't you? It's North American Aerospace Defense Command. Uh, they, they have their hands full, okay? They have their hands full with, with this. The North American Aerospace Defense Command has its hand full with these regular sorties from Putin's Russian regime, which are only... You know, just innocent, innocent, benign. These are not threatening kinds of things, right? Having these nuclear-capable super bombers, (laughs) uh, along with fighter escorts, coming to our shores. This is just routine military exercises. It means nothing. It means nothing. So... Anyway, back in 2018, in September of 2018, there were two incidents within a week and a half, right, of, again, the Russian bear bombers, in one case without fighter escorts, in the other case with them. And prior to that, there were instances. I mean, so what is the objective? What is the goal? I mean, is this classic saber-rattling? Is this for... Prestige is this uh, not only saving face but making face. Is that is that what this is about? Is this Putin's way of impressing the Russian people to vote for him, to vote him into office forever? You know, does he does he concern himself with that? Well, he always has concerned himself with public relations, making himself out to be a very bully man indeed, but. Is that all that there is? Or could it possibly be something else? Could it be a matter of lulling us to sleep? You know, causing us to scramble fighter planes to come out to this 
non-threatening <laughs> little uh, group, El Grupo here from Russia, uh, and escort them away. You know, is it possible? Could that be any way, shape, or form involved in this? Just to lull the defenses of the United States of America and Canada into a rockabye baby sleep here so that when we hear all the alerts, oh, yes, you know, there are Russian bombers again making their way ever nearer to the coastline of Alaska and Canada and so forth, that, oh, well, you know, it's just run-of-the-mill routine military operations. It's just training exercises for young pilots. It's just all this sort of thing, right? There's nothing to be concerned about until, of course, the day that there is something to be concerned about. Is that possible? No, undoubtedly not. Again, Vladimir, you know, he just has this laser focus, soul focus, just on peace and prosperity and and improving the stature of Russia. <laughs> right, that's, I mean, that's that's all. Nothing more than that. Right. But and truly, I do think it certainly is if he does choose to actively strike somewhere in terms of military attack, I would think it would be again along his Western Front, (laughs) along the line of demarcation here with these nations, which were formerly under the Soviet Union. Now, Belarus is still very close. (laughs) Belarus, again, a Russian close ally that is actually a communist regime. Wait a minute, communist? Well, look at these other nations. Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan. And the list goes on. And you find the governments, they have some sort of variation as far as, you know, a hybrid of communism and Islam, which supposedly our oil and water can never go together. But you find that sort of thing. But on the Western Front, again, Belarus is not one of these former slave states that needs to be enslaved because it still is enslaved, all right? But Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and then we have Ukraine and Georgia and Moldova and so forth. I think much more likely, first strike there, second strike on into Europe, on into Poland, Germany, France, Italy, Netherlands, Denmark, Belgium, and so forth. But Undoubtedly, uh, undoubtedly, he has no desire to do that. Meanwhile, what's going on in Europe? West of that. Think west. West coast of Europe. Portugal. Portugal has hell's angels. I mean, who would have thought that? I, really? I, not me. I cannot picture hell's angels in Portugal. No, I can't picture that. But apparently, they have chapters here, there, and the other place in Europe. In Europe. 
Amazing. So Portuguese police, including units of anti-terrorism personnel, they uh, raided multiple Hell's Angels motorcycle club locations. That's right. In a number of places within Portugal. The capital, Lisbon. Uh, the Algarve in the south. Yes. But anyway, uh, they happened to arrest dozens of Hell's Angels bikers. And the Portuguese police described them as being extremely dangerous with long criminal records and heavy involvement in organized crime violence. Amazing. Just astonishing, you know. Well, apparently they've been there in Portugal for a while now, for 17 years. <laughs> so, oh, well. but they stated there was a uh, kind of a turf war there between rival gangs. You know, it sounds like something out of California, doesn't it? I mean, really, to me it does. Sounds like this is straight from California and... Uh, Illicit weapons, illicit weapons meaning that they they have weapons, you know, uh, and drug trafficking. Drug trafficking, the Hells Angels, really, they're involved in that? Illicit weapons and drug trafficking? Shocking stuff. <laughs> you know, if the teenage gangs, the hundreds of teenage gangs in London can have the weapon arsenals that they have, then what about the older more sophisticated, international Hell's Angels. Yes, I think uh, illicit weapons is probably not an overstatement. Probably not. After all, the gangs in London, teenagers, and they have submachine guns and what have you. So, yes, I think so. But, meanwhile, before I go any further, let me just say, I'm Brad Thomas. And this is after all is said and done. And whatever's right, true, accurate, good, useful about this program is thanks to Heavenly Father, Holy God, the creator of mankind and of this earth. And whatever's lacking and erring and failing is due to me. But again, what's good? God the Father, God the Son. <laughs> What's less than good? Me. That's, that's on me. But fascinating about a great white shark. It's a young one. He's just a young gun, a great white shark, and has been uh, visiting, <laughs> visiting the same as the Russian bear bombers and their fighter escorts. He's been visiting the United States of America. And I was just so struck by the statements of this fellow, Chris Fisher, who is founder of this outstanding organization. Uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it, I believe it's O-Search, like Osh, Ocean and Search, Ocean Search, O-Search. 
But anyway, he is just, he is a shark lover. There's no doubt about it, you know. Uh, he, he has a love affair with sharks, you know, just like the, the induced abortion activists have forever and a day now, for decades now, uh, they condemn people that are opposed to the evil of induced abortion. They say they have a love affair with the fetus. So, but anyway, he has a love affair with the great white sharks and the other sharks. Yes, and and speaking of this young great white shark that is not even 10 feet long, not even, you know, a little bit less than that, a few inches less than 10 feet long, because he was, he was captured and tagged, you know, for scientific purposes so that they can follow his journeys, Right, up close and personal. And they can follow his journeys and they can log it and they can maybe do some wonderful uh, TV programs about it. But anyway, so they say that he is less than 10 feet. The problem with that is that when he was tagged, it was a year ago. So I'm guessing that he might have grown a little bit since then. But in any case... He is listed as being less than 10 feet. All right. So he's a, he's a bit taller than me and weighs, you know, many, many, many hundreds of pounds more than me. But he stated this, Fisher, who's so excited. I mean, he's just, he's just loves these sharks. Quote, he was right up on the beach. Very close. He was right up on the beach. Very close. Again, that's a direct quote. So what beach was he talking about, do you imagine? How about swanky Greenwich, Connecticut? Okay? Greenwich, Connecticut, if you're not familiar with that lay of the land, that part of the United States of America, that is just about as far up Long Island or into Long Island, as you can get. The Long Island Sound, speaking of the sound, not the actual uh, peninsula. But it's about as far as you can go. You see, (laughs) you go past Rhode Island, (laughs) heading west, okay? So he came down from Nova Scotia, which is where they tagged him. And he comes down along the coast, past the great state of Maine and past the great state of New Hampshire and past the great state of Massachusetts and on around the end and past the great state of Rhode Island and then all the way past the great state of Connecticut until he is almost past it. He gets right to where Connecticut meets New York State. And then he he pulls into the beach Right. He's come close along the shore, but now he pulls into the beach right offshore in in a few feet of water. And he looks around and he uh, examines it carefully and closely and is hangs around for a while. Yes. But then he ended up uh, heading back out a little bit. But Fisher, he said this, quote, to see him that deep into the sound. 
into Long Island Sound, to see him that deep into the sound, I think that is a fantastic sign for the region. And really interesting development for us because we just haven't seen them that deep into the sound previously. End quote. No, they haven't seen great white sharks so deep, as he puts it, into Long Island Sound before. And he is so excited about it. It is a fantastic sign to have the most dangerous, noisome beasts on the face of the earth barely offshore of beaches of Greenwich, Connecticut. A fantastic sign, a fantastic development, an interesting development, fantastic development. What could be better than that? I think it's a really great sign for the sound. That's a real positive sign for the sound there. Yes. Oh, well. But then he does offer one word of caution. He says, people should demonstrate common sense before going into the water. Yes, he said that. So what does that mean exactly? Uh, You know, what is the sophisticated interpretation of those words, of that statement, that people... That's you and I should demonstrate, as in exhibit, uh, actually, <laughs> common sense. What is common sense? We should demonstrate common sense before going into the water. Okay? So we should still go into the water, but we should demonstrate common sense before we go into the water. Okay, so... What would that look like? What would common sense before going into the water look like to you, to me? Well, if you or I had common sense and there is a great white shark extremely close to shore, common sense would dictate that we would not go into the water. We would not adventure ourselves into the water, okay? We just would not. And we wouldn't permit any of our family members to either. We would forbid them to go into the water. We'd forbid them to go near the water. If we had common sense. But at the very, very, very least, if we were not permitted (laughs) to do anything in terms of from a boat to to spot these creatures and to try to escort them out to safety, you know, just like the the bombers from Russia. If we're not permitted to do that, and if we're not permitted to shoot them from a boat with whatever kind of device can be used from a boat, then perhaps the bravest the best and brightest and bravest would don scuba tanks and 
boomsticks, which have been made illegal, I might add, you know, in places like California, boomsticks, which are used to kill sharks, (laughs) arm themselves with boomsticks or similar such, and go for a swim and see about removing such threats from these waters and thereby prevent monstrous carnage. If we had common sense, but no. According to him, we should demonstrate common sense before we go into the water. (laughs) Okay, once we're in the water, too late. Throw out common sense. You need to, you know, demonstrate it beforehand. But he doesn't say, and he doesn't say demonstrate common sense, exercise common sense, and not go into the water. He just says before going into the water, which is fantastic. I mean, it is just fantastic. Uh, it's so good that he's doing such good work. Yes. And uh, by the way, they have named the shark Cabot. Yes. Makes me think of Henry Cabot Lodge <laughs> of Massachusetts. But that's not the Cabot the shark is named after. This pet shark. <laughs> this great white shark is named after an Italian navigator, John Cabot. That doesn't sound like a very Italian name to me, does it to you? But anyway, fantastic. So tell me this. What if Cabot, this great white shark that is... Ten or more feet long, huge, eating, devouring, destroying machine. What if Cabot happens to slaughter a woman, a young person, a child, or even even some old fat white man? You know, what if Cabot were to do that? Would there be any culpability, would there be any liability for this wonderful scientist, researcher? Would there? Rest assured, no problem. No, no problem. Chris Fisher has nothing to be concerned about. It wouldn't matter if Cabot went on a devouring mission and slaughtered dozens. It wouldn't matter. No. But it is perhaps something to consider that up in Massachusetts, that uh, Cape Cod land, of course, they've been having great whites come in very, very, very close to shore, feeding upon seals that have been making their abode there for periods of time. And uh, people have been attacked. There was one young man that was killed, another man who survived an attack, and so forth. But anyway. But speaking of dangerous, dangerous beings that are a threat to humankind... And that are lurking ever nearer. (laughs) There is the presidential campaign 2020 that is in the offing. 
And we have these great leaders. I mean, there are so many outstanding, outstanding candidates, including now, of course, the illustrious New York City mayor. No, I'm not referring to Michael Bloomberg. I know. I know I had you going there for a minute. Well, maybe, maybe not. But Bill de Blasio. Blase, blase, blasio. Yes. He is gracing us with the opportunity to vote for him, to bring him to the White House. Such a visionary man. I mean, yes, he's just really outstanding. Someone you can really get excited about, along with all of the other sterling candidates. I mean, it's just such an exciting development, isn't it? Well, perchance, perchance we have uh, the opportunity to see something about de Blasio. De Blasio, who is credited with uh, having, you know, in a manner of speaking, according to some, played a role in encouraging violence against police. But, of course, he denies that strenuously, right? But do you remember the violent attacks of police in New York City? And statements made by the mayor and that some people felt incited such violence. But let's move him from New York City to the White House. Why not? I mean, after all, there's Donald Trump from New York City to the White House. Now Bill de Blasio, he's caught the fever. He says to himself, if Trump can do it, I can do it. Right? Oh, my. Well, Bill de Blasio is a soldier in the war against global climate change. Yes, he is. So the city council in April passed legislation that requires all premises in New York City larger than 25,000 square feet. That they be required to reduce their overall emissions into the atmosphere by 40% or face annual fines from the great city of New York, New York City. In addition to New York City's municipal taxes and New York State's taxes and the federal taxes, they will be levied annual fines if they fail to reduce their overall emissions by 40% or more. So how many people does this affect? How many owners of property does this affect, do you imagine? Well... I suppose it depends in part on how many of these large structures any given owner owns, right? But 
This supposedly pertains to a grand total of, drumroll please, 50,000 buildings. Okay. So if each building is only owned by one person, not a family, not a consortium, not a business group, but a single individual, and if each individual only owns one building, then it would be 50,000 people that would be affected, right? Not to mention, of course, any people that rent apartments or such in these buildings, not to mention any companies that rent office space and so forth, who in all likelihood will have to pay more because the owners will pass on the costs to their occupiers, to their residents, to their renters, their leasers, right? Their customers. Oh, my. But what if, what if virtually all of these buildings are owned by more than one person, owned by families, owned by corporations, owned by consortiums, owned by business groups and partnerships, limited partnerships and what have you, then it could be more people. But again, if these families and what have you, if they own multiple buildings, then it, then it goes the other way. So I don't know. I don't know how many people it affects directly. But 40% reduction, or we will tax you to death. <laughs> we will fine you to death. I mean, this is a page out of the Michael Bloomberg playbook. It really is. <laughs> Bill de Blasio, Michael Bloomberg, two outstanding visionary leaders, mayor and former mayor of New York City, both with presidential aspirations. I don't know if Bloomy is, uh, is giving it a go. Uh, he, has, he has wanted to, and he has alluded to it, you know, time after time after time, but don't know if he's going to. But it, it's, so, it's so exciting. You know, uh, but there are negatives to it, okay? Namely, that these new regulations, they may actually dissuade tenants that require a great deal of energy for their business enterprises to come to town or to remain in town, or more likely. But, you know, companies, media giants, technology companies that have an insatiable thirst for energy. So something to look forward to. And this actually, this goes hand in glove with the United Nations, which, of course, is housed in New York City and which undoubtedly receives, you know, a pass, right? Special, special perks, special privileges, uh, United Nations need not worry. But so a United Nations report warned that the world, the world, what is the world? Does that mean the regimes and the governments and whatever in the world? That they must make an effort 
to cut emissions, to reduce emissions, to diminish emissions by 45% by the year 2030. But ultimately, we must reduce, eliminate, and wipe out emissions. Yes, they have to be brought down to zero by 2050, by the year 2050. (laughs) Otherwise, global climate change will ravage the earth. Yes, flooding as far as the eye can see. Heat waves and so forth. Starvation, mass starvation, you know, just termination of life, basically. By the year 2050, uh, we must have it down to zero. Now, they don't say that these ravages will be in effect by the year 2050. But if we have not, if the human species has not eliminated all of these emissions by 2050, it's curtains. Okay. Well, I have good news for you, good news and bad news. And uh, the good news is this, is that we have these great people, great minds who are going to ensure you know, at uh, at gunpoint that, that this happens. So that, that's the good news. But meanwhile, off the coast of Africa, between Africa and Madagascar, not Madagascar like Disney movie, Madagascar, <laughs> and not to be confused with Disney's movie, but yes, that land, Madagascar, between Africa and Madagascar, there have been some very interesting things going on. So much so that there was even on the spooky uh, (laughs) calculator, I don't know where this would rank, but a strange, eerie, low-frequency rumble rippled around the world. Yes, it set off seismic sensors 11 thousand miles away and shocked and stunned and stupefied great scientific minds everywhere. Well, what was it? What could it have been? Well, uh, it's been determined now that that was probably due to volcanic eruptive activity a couple miles (laughs) beneath the surface of the ocean. Yes, there's a volcano, a baby volcano there. Yes. And they're all kind of, this is a string, this island, this archipelago, it's all volcanoes, but this is a newbie. And uh, I, th- I thought I saw somewhere that it was, uh, it only rose up like 400 miles off the seabed or whatever. But in any case, it sent these. <laughs> Sounds, these waves around the world. Well, what does that have to do with the price of eggs? You know, what does that matter? Just this. All of this ridiculous, irrational focus on 
man-made emissions. We must strangle those emissions, especially in the most highly developed nations. (laughs) And that's the way to stop global climate change in its tracks. No, because every volcanic eruption is going to trump anything and everything that can be done with regard to man-made emissions. And it is a complete, utter lie to pretend otherwise. But what I, I found it fascinating that, you know, scientists were referring to this activity, this volcanic activity there, as pure and exciting. Pure and exciting in stark contrast with the terrible, evil, odious global climate change. But they know best, I'm sure. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.